Uh, just want to give you a little bit of a heads up that in a couple of minutes we have a guest speaker that's going to come and join us. Uh, his name is Jacob. Um, Jacob and Marie Paul moved uh, to this area back in uh, late summer, and uh, they have been part of our congregation, uh, both just fellowshipping with us, worshiping with us, getting to know us um, since September. And uh, Jacob and uh, Marie Paul have also been involved, um, serving in various ways in our congregation, and we're thankful for their um, uh, they're joining us. Uh, they are here on a one-year sabbatical, and Jacob may say a little bit more about that. Uh, he has a church that he has left behind uh, back in Quebec in St. Jerome, where he was there for uh, 12 years at least, and so he may have a little bit more to say about that, but we are really looking forward to Jacob sharing the Word of God with us this morning. It was something that we had planned long ago, and we wanted to continue with that. So let me read uh, two portions of Scripture that are part of this message today. One is from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19, and the other is from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me um, to Luke chapter 19, and I want to read verse 28 to verse 40. And so it begins this way. This is Dr. Luke that writes these words. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away uh, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And then if you turn over in your Bibles to the book of Acts, also written by Luke, Dr. Luke, and in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, we want to read this following portion of Scripture. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran up to him and heard him reading, reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture 
that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Peter opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that as we prepare our hearts to hear the good news, the gospel about our King, Jesus, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds and that you will humble us before your word. I thank you for Jacob, Father. I thank you for bringing him from the other end of this country to this island to be with our congregation for these months amongst us. I thank you for the calling you have placed on his life. I thank you for the passion he has for your word. And I thank you for the love he has for the lost. And I pray that as he shares the word with us this morning, that it would warm our hearts, that it would inflame our passion to share the word. And Father, that maybe some even hearing this message today would open their hearts for the first time to Jesus Christ because of the good news they hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's so good to be here. Thank you. As uh, Pastor Paul said, I'm from Quebec. And yes, in July, my wife, my four kids and I and our dog, we went into our 17-foot camper and we drove all the way here. Didn't know exactly where we would land, but um, we've enjoyed being in this area, getting to know many of you. And it's been immensely refreshing after 12 years of ministry in that particular church. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Uh, It's been great to be here. Creation is wonderful, but many of you have been very, very good to us. And so thank you. Um, It's a weird time to be on sabbatical, though, I must say, this time right now. Uh, We were not, as any of you, expecting this. Uh, It seems like uh, we had the idea of a sabbatical and then the whole earth picked up after us. Uh, for sabbatical, that is. And um, anyway, but uh, uh, our main question uh, as a family, now that we are basically isolated at home, like many of you, is when will all this stop, right? Like, when will normal life get back? And that's our main question. As my good friend and neighbor Kevin said, used the expression, when will the director finally say, cut? Um, is our main question. And I have one thing in my heart that I wanted to share this morning, uh, one main thing, and that is this. Maybe many things have stopped in our lives, but there is one thing that has and will not stop, 
And it is God's determined mission to fill the whole earth with His own glory. That will not stop. And while I'm on sabbatical, I've been studying. So I'm doing a master's in mission and spirituality. And it took, took my breath away to realize in amazement the extent, the depth, and the power and unstoppable nature of God's mission. And I think it's even more re relevant in this pandemic now to realize this will not stop. It, I think it's reassuring. So I hope God's Word will produce in you the same amazement, hope, and, and maybe clearer direction through this fog. And so we'll look at two stories that uh, Pastor Paul has read already. And I hope to show you those through those two stories. I hope that we will see that Jesus is King and that changes everything. I, I love that motto that, that, that Parksville Baptist has. God is real. And we know God is real because Jesus came. Jesus is king. And that does change everything. I hope we'll see three things. We'll see in this time why all people, every single person, needs Jesus as king. Secondly, we'll see that what might stop King's mission, we'll look at what might stop King's mission, King Jesus' mission to all people. What could stop that? And thirdly, how the mission of King Jesus to all people simply cannot be stopped. Okay? So if you have, if you don't have your Bible, just go get it. I'll give you a moment. Did you get it? Okay. Okay, because we'll, you'll have to work, okay? I'm not the only one working or this staff. You'll, working, you'll be working with this book, and uh, some of the verses will be on, on the screen or uh, on your computer, but mainly you'll have to read with me. Um, so I encourage you to, to, to get that. And so first point is why we all need Jesus as king. And I won't reread the whole story of Jesus coming up to Jerusalem on a donkey, but let's go directly to verse uh, 37 again. I'll read that again. He, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, maybe the picture of a young man, 33-something, sitting on a donkey, riding on a clothes-covered path, might not immediately strike you as very kingly or royal, but to the crowd of Jewish disciples of Jesus, they had heard prophecies for so long of a coming king. For them, that sight was electrifying because they remembered prophecies like that of Zechariah 9.9 saying, just that, that was 500 years earlier than, than that very day. This is what Zechariah had said. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coal, colt, the foal of a donkey. They also would have remembered that the first king of Israel, King Saul, had been anointed by Samuel on his way to find his dad's donkeys. In, in Jewish times, a king would not be crowned with a crown. He would be anointed with oil. And the word anointed one is in Hebrew, Messiah, Messiah. And so when they heard the word Messiah, or when you read it in your Bible, you should think, king, king, Messiah is king. They knew, so these, this crowd of disciples, Jewish disciples, they knew full well the promises that the Creator God had made to their ancestors. 
that through Abraham's family, that was them, the Israelites, the curse our world was under would be reversed. The earth would be renewed. The other nation would break their swords and their idols and come worship God with Israel in Jerusalem and the whole world would be at peace. They were expecting that. They also knew that since good King David's rule a thousand years ago in Israel, since then the nation of Israel had been divided, often ruled by corrupt and idolatrous Jewish kings, conquered by cruel nations, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now they were suffocating under the inhuman iron fist of the Roman Empire. They hated the Romans. And they were, so they were also groaning. They had been for hundreds of years. The same thing maybe we're feeling, like when will this all stop? When will the director say, cut? When will our fi finally our destiny finally resume? As God's people. And all their expectations were centered around the promised king. The return of that king. The son of David. The Messiah. Anointed one. Just, just like in other stories. Like Robin Hood and his merry many. Were waiting for King Richard to come back and restore order and peace. To Nottingham. Because the main thing that the king would do, that Jewish king would do, the Messiah, according to the Jewish prophets, was to save them from their enemies and restore them to flourishing. Finally, we'll be free. We sure can relate to that, right? That feeling. Like, when will our world be unbroken? You know what's crazy? Even in this pandemic, I think we're looking forward to when all this will be over. I definitely do. But at the same time... <laughs> If you're the same as me, we know that something is deeply wrong with our consumerist, image-driven culture where one billion people, mainly us Westerners, consume 30, time, 30 times more resources than the other 6.5 billion living people in developing countries. Right? That, can't, that can't last. We know that. We need to be saved. We need to be saved from the God of money. We need to be saved from illnesses and viruses and saved from mental torments and saved from cold-heartedness and selfishness in my own heart. And so as they watched Jesus riding on a donkey, probably knowing full well how dangerous it was to proclaim anyone other than Caesar to be king, they still burst out, in fact, quoting Psalm 118, 25-26, Save us, Lord. This is, this is Psalm 118. And this is what they were shouting. Save us, we pray, O Lord. That is what Hosanna means. Lord, save us. Give us success, O Lord. Bless is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Notice that verse 37 mentions it is a crowd of disciples. And we read that it was because of the mighty works they had seen Jesus perform for the last three years that they were all excited. They had witnessed Jesus, a human being, son of Joseph, but who was proclaiming that the kingdom of God was coming close. They had witnessed Jesus powerfully heal the sick, touch blind Bartimaeus so he could see. They had seen him feed multitudes and resurrect a sick 12-year-old girl, 
If ever there is one person whom God could see fit to be Israel's ruler, to rally all Israelites and defeat their enemies, in their minds, Caesar being the first on the list, it would be this Jesus of Nazareth. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, God save us. Verse 39, some Pharisees were in the crowd. They were the religious leaders. They knew the Bible very well and strictly observed the law. They were, expecting, uh, the, they were expecting the kingdom of God to break in as much as any other Jews, but they didn't want these shouts to draw the attention of Roman authorities, possibly, and Jesus certainly didn't fit their expectation of a king, but the crowd of disciples just couldn't shut up about their need for Jesus as king. They had an unshutupable need for a king. That's the French word here that I'm translating. <laughs> unshutupable need for a king. And so Jesus tells them, tells the Pharisees, if they don't acclaim uh, me as king, the stones will. <laughs> and possibly he's referring to Habakkuk 2.11. A prophet, an old prophet again, who was addressing the evil rulers of Jerusalem, Jerusalem and telling them that if the poor and vulnerable they were oppressing couldn't cry out for justice, then the stones of the walls of the city would shout and their shouts for justice would come to God's ears. So that very image of stones crying out is the image of people under, uh, suffering under injustice and wanting to be freed. And this is what we read in Habakkuk 2, 11 and 12. For the stones will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Like even the walls. If you see pictures of pilgrims on Palm Sunday again today in Jerusalem, now with the pandemic, I don't know if anyone's in the street, but usually at this very day, Millions, maybe not millions, hundreds of pilgrims go down from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. It's about a 30-minute walk down on the side of a stone wall. And they'll throw palm branches on Palm Sunday. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read that they had palm uh, branches. And, and uh, those same stones are still here today. They have witnessed the evil and suffering of human beings. And if men and women aren't able to shout their need for a king, those stones will do it. So it's just impossible to shut up every human being's need for a saving king. And none other has shown himself more able to be a saving king than Jesus of Nazareth. And that is good news. God has sent a saving king. And that's perhaps the reality I've enjoyed the, mo sorry, the most from being a church planter. Uh, we moved to a city uh, with a group of fellow Jesus followers with one explicit purpose. Get to know people, hear their stories, learn where they are suffering, what are their needs, and share the good news of King Jesus with them. That was amazing. Even though, um, and so that was St. Jérôme. Even though I had grown up 45 minutes away, I had never set foot in the city of St. Jérôme, about halfway between Montreal and Tremblant, uh, before moving there to plant a church with my wife. Uh, we didn't have kids at that time. And about 20 other people coming from our mother church in Mascouche, Quebec. We were sent out by a mother church, another fellowship Baptist church, in the same fellowship that Parksville Baptist is. And as any other city, the need in St. Jérôme was the same in, as anywhere else in Quebec. Maybe you don't realize this, but Quebec is the largest mission field in all of the Americas. Less than 1% people have heard the gospel. 
0.8%. That's less than anywhere else in all of the Americas. Maybe you think, well, wasn't that the most religious people? They were all Catholic? Yes, but you got to understand, it was Middle Ages, medieval Catholicism, uh, mass in Latin, absolutely no biblical knowledge. So we got to know our, study, uh, our city. We studied it. 180,000 people, about 10,000 people, 10,000 students in the core of the city and, and a very deprived street community there. And so my friend Rob Karsh and I, we were co-leading this church plant. Uh, we both felt strongly that if the gospel was to impact our whole city, if everyone needed to hear Jesus, as, have Jesus as their king, we needed a community to be present in the, the center of that city where street community, uh, the street community was living, and businesses and students. And so we started praying, and the Lord led us to an amazingly ugly building. <laughs> An ugly facade and it looked like absolutely nothing, but it was right in the middle of our town next to the usual common big Roman Catholic cathedral, now empty. Uh, no one goes there on Sundays, not because of the pandemic, but because of a lack of interest, but a beautiful building. And it, it, that building used to be a beloved building in our city. It was a movie theater since the 1910s or 20s. And so there, the whole story of how, against tremendous odds, uh, God in His grace gave us uh, the freedom to purchase this building and, and uh, renovate it. But the point here is that we started to gather and worship, and, and, uh, and people started coming just from the street. And there's a halfway house about five minutes across the street, and many people who had been in, in jail uh, and were waiting to be released um, would come. And so we got to know many people and listen to their stories. And one of them was Eve. Now, that's a French name. It's, it's a masculine name. It's not spelled the same way. Uh, and, and we got to know Eve. And I still remember the first time Eve came in to our church service. Um, I remember his smile at the end of the service. Great smile. And this is his story. He's, he's simple. He grew up as a sports kid. And then he enjoyed, he was active, and then he fell sick, went to the hospital for a few months. And because of cortisone, he became all puffed up, and he was fatter, and he couldn't, when he got out of the hospital, he just, he just couldn't do sports anymore. He fell with the wrong kids, and that led, led him eventually to become a criminal and to do some jobs for the Hells Angels. And what we, when we met him, he had been seven times inside, up to a total of 30 years inside, and but what was crazy was that as we got to know him, he was just a very tender man who um, his underlying need was simply to find unconditional acceptance and belonging. That's all. And I still remember when he told me after one or two uh, times of coming to church and he said, I have never, never been more loved than coming here. I have never found more of a loving family than, than this. And this is crazy to me. And, and, so, and so he finally, he heard the gospel and he saw baptisms. He wanted to be baptized. He was baptized. And we, we rejoiced and he realized he needed King Jesus to be his king. But you know what? Even a few months after his baptism, I still remember him coming to us, the elders, and very trembling almost, saying, could you lend me 50 bucks? I need to buy a lock for my door. Because one of my friends told me another 
Hell's Angels guy is, is looking for me because of some stuff I've done, and I'm so afraid. And, and he, he started being very vulnerable, and he said, Jacob, do you think that now that I'm, I'm a good guy, now that I'm saying, telling the truth, I'm not in violence anymore, do you think that perhaps God will accept me? Now, that was after he had been baptized. Maybe you, you'll question our way of sharing the gospel, but no, he had heard the gospel, but he, We have a hard time realizing how much we need Jesus as king. He was still hoping Jesus was just helping him a little bit and he'd do the rest. And so I told him, I said, you know what? Um, that was my answer to him was that, um, no, your honesty, you know what? It's not enough, Eve. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, but actually you will never be good enough for God to forgive you. And that's precisely why Jesus is such good news for everyone. He, Jesus told the truth 100% of the time. He was motivated by love, no violence. And, and, and he protected the weak, the weak, yet he accepted to be treated like a criminal in your place, in my place. He transferred all his good behavior to your account so you could be counted righteous and good and entirely forgiven by faith in Jesus. And there were tears as he understood yet again more clearly how Jesus was the right-saving king for him at that very moment. And if we're honest, even if it's been 30 years that we've known Jesus, we still have a lot of unbelief in our hearts. We all need Jesus as king. Only through him, his life and death can destroy the power of sin in us and clear us of guilt only through him, and restore us to fellowship with God, what we really, really all need. So as the Pharisees learned, there is an unshutupable need for Jesus as king for everyone and in every person's heart. Um, the purpose of God in sending Jesus was that all members of all peoples um, all over the earth would hear the good news of his forgiving and restoring love manifested in Jesus. And what comes as a surprise when we read the account of the first movement of the gospel, however, was that the biggest threat to the mission of King Jesus was not actually the Pharisees or the people who opposed the Jesus movement as much as the disciples of Jesus themselves. And that brings me to my second point. What might stop the mission of King Jesus to all people. What might stop this good news to be shared everywhere? Sadly, it's often the unbelief of disciples. And, and we see that in a few ways uh, in, in the text, in scriptures. Because the way the Jews were interpreting the scriptures was that, was that when the Messiah would come, he would restore Israel's political independence, rid it Rid Israel of the Jews who didn't really care about the temple, who didn't strictly observe God's law. And then and only then would all the other nations would come and have a ch chance to make their own respectful pilgrimage to Jerusalem and worship God at the temple and bring restoration then to the whole world. That was how they interpreted it. And when Jesus, the one whom they believed was Messiah, instead of defeating the Romans, was killed by the Romans, I mean, that really did not fit their way of thinking. And even walking three years with Jesus, they still underestimated their own need for Jesus as king. They were hanging to a small kingdom 
vision. Israel focused where all sinners would be excluded except the pure would be in. They had a lot of barriers for people to come to worship God. It's very striking to to see how prevalent this small kingdom vision remained with the disciples for a long time and could have very easily stopped the mission of King Jesus to reach all people. They thought they needed Jesus as king, but not just a little bit. So read with me in, in Luke 24. That's when you work. You go to Luke 24. It's on on the screen. Luke chapter 24, verses 19 to 27. And this is a story that happens after Jesus' death, but before his resurrection, possibly on that Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And uh, Jesus comes to some disciples of his, but they don't recognize him. He, no, I'm sorry, that's on Sunday. I'm sorry. But uh, that Jesus is resurrected, but the disciples don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. And when Jesus comes to them, they don't recognize him. So this is Easter Sunday. And, and they have a conversation together, and they're pretty sad about their king, the one they thought was Messiah, being uh, dead. And, and, uh, and when Jesus asked them, what are you sad about? This is what they respond in verse 18. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's a bit like someone not practicing social distancing and not being aware that there's a pandemic. Like, where have you been? It's all over the news. And, and he said to, Jesus said to them, verse 19, what things? He, he knew. He just wanted them to tell him. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They were hoping, hoping that Jesus would have redeemed Israel. They were still focused on, on them. Yes, and besides all this, if they go on, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, verse 23. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. So they had heard women tell them that, but they didn't believe it. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary, Jesus says, that the Christ, the Messiah, the King, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Go to verse 44. He said to them, Verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the whole of the Old Testament, the Torah, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The problem was not that they couldn't see Jesus in the flesh, but their minds were were closed to scripture. Their heart was unbelieving. And said to them, Jesus said to them, verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that, listen to this, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
when Jesus read the Old Testament, <laughs> it was clearly to him that the Messiah's death and resurrection would occasion mission of sharing this good news to all nations. Now it's time not for the nations to come to Jerusalem, but for, for uh, the community of the disciples of Jesus to go to all nations. If the disciples knew Zechariah's um, prophecy of the king coming on a donkey, they would have known the second verse after that in Zechariah 9 verse 10. That reads thus, The battle bow shall be cut off, cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations, that king. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the, of the earth. Now, we might think that, yes, after they all recognized that Jesus was resurrected, then they would have understood. Then they would have gone to share the good news of Jesus to all nations. Uh, and they would have realized Jesus is with us and we can bring God's kingdom to everyone, but, but not so. For instance, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. After, that's after the resurrection, after they have realized, okay, Jesus is, is alive now. But still, when they had come together, they asked him. So Jesus was with them for 40 days before he ascended to the heavens. But during those 40 days, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's, that was their expectation. Finally, can we have our normal life back, the one that we had imagined? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. No, he said, now I will bring my kingdom to the whole earth, but it will be through you as my witnesses. I will do it, but through you as my witnesses. After resurrection, they, didn't, they still didn't really get it. They had a small kingdom vision. We might think that after Pentecost, then, when, when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples in them and they start speaking in tongues and, and Peter preaches and, and 3,000 people come to, to faith in Jesus in Jerusalem, we might think, oh, now they'll get it and they'll go to all nations. But read Acts chapter 8, verse 1 with me. That's a few, uh, it's a, few a little time after the Pentecost. But there arose on that day, that was after Stephen, one of them had been killed. Well, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Isn't that interesting? It took persecution, like the threat of death, for them to go out of Jerusalem and start fulfilling what Jesus had said was all over the Old Testament, was in Zechariah 9.10. He had explicitly, explicitly told them, but they had a hard time understanding that. It, I don't know why the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Um, it's, it seems odd to me. Like, and and, and the, it brings the question, how will the mission of Jesus to all people continue without the apostles? Because they had been the engine for all this. Hadn't Jesus told them it will start in Jerusalem, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth, then Judea, Samaria? They, they, they stayed. So unfortunately, they, they still underestimated that Jesus is a king, saving king for all peoples. They still thought Jesus was helping them build Israel kingdom and not 
God's kingdom. They were about me at the center of it all and not Jesus. And of course, that's often how we are too. Um, what might stop the mission of King Jesus right now? I, I realized very soon in the process of church planting that really the biggest obstacle to our mission might not be as much outside hostility as much as the church's difficulty believing that this is really good news for everyone. It really makes a difference. And so I remember people, and it's understandable, like I, many people were reacting when, when all the people from the street community would come in. <laughs> it's funny because some people would come in and, and they would say, I, I heard there's a Lord's Supper here. Uh, where, when is that supper? At what time can I come? And I had to explain the Lord's Supper is <laughs> it's not a full meal. And, and when they came, and whenever we had a potluck meal, which, you know, as Baptists is often, uh, even in Quebec, and, and we had potlucks, and the word got out, and we had 30 more people come in to join us on that meal. And, and everyone was like, it's great, but, you know, they haven't washed their hands, and they're picking the same bowl of chips that we have. So we finally had people serve others. Anyway, it, it, we did the logistics of it, but it's still, why they, why they're bothering us from having our worship experience on Sunday mornings? Some people were drinking 10 cups of coffee, go, always going back. We had, uh, in our building, we had two bathrooms on each side of the stage. And so people would come up and kind of distract everyone. And they would come up more than once. Like you knew who had a good bladder and who didn't throughout the service. And I remember one specific lady, Julie, was just, she was very, uh, she, she was a, a crackhead. And so she was trying to be there, trying, she knew she need, needed Jesus as king, but in middle of, of worshiping, she would do things like this and go, huh, huh, and, and she would just distract everyone. And I remember people asking me, Jacob, can't you do something about Julie? Can, can't she be more quiet while we worship our God? And it was interesting. There's many things that might stop the mission of King Jesus and our own self-centered Vision, small kingdom vision is often what keeps us, unfortunately. But you know what? Even a pandemic can't stop the mission of King Jesus. Even unbelieving disciples can't stop the mission of King Jesus. Uh, I, I have a picture in my mind of my little girl, uh, six-year-old Felicity. Um, Felicity, you're listening to this right now. I'm speaking about you. Um, she's riding her bike. She learned how to ride her bike here in Qualcomm Beach, and she's going up a little hill, and she's going at it like it's hard. I can see the pain because, you know, I have 21. Well, anyway, I have a bigger bicycle. It's easier, but she's just going at it, and I hear, hear her under her breath. I'll always, I love that picture of my little girl, and she, she just said under her breath in English, I just never give up. I said, yeah, way to go. Keep that attitude. But, you know, if a, a six-year-old girl is so positive about going up that hill, how much more is the Lord of the universe determined to never give up on his creation? Like billions of times more. So my th third point and last point is how the mission of King Jesus to all peoples cannot be stopped and we see that in Acts 8. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but one guy, Philip, he was a deacon. He was of 
Greek origin. He wasn't a Jew, but he had understood the uh, gospel of Jesus. He had trusted King Jesus. And, and, and we read in Acts chapter 8, verses 4, that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And we read, so there was much joy in that city. And Jesus had said, after Jerusalem, it will be Judea and then Samaria. The Jews hated Samaritans because they were half-Jews. They had intermarried. They, they hated them. But it doesn't stop there. And I love this last story that Pastor Paul read. It's the next story um, is, uh, is weird in many ways because it has many coincidences, divine intervention, angels, um, a, 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 a eunuch reading Isaiah from the end of the world. It's like, where does that all come from? But it has amazingly powerful symbolic significance, but just true human significance as well. Now, the, an angel of the Lord said to Philip in verse 26 of Acts 8, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Why would an angel tell me to go to a desert place? I have no clue, but Philip obeyed. He rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. How did he find out? About the God of the Jews, we don't know. How he got a scroll of Isaiah, I don't know. But he was returning, seated in his chariot. Don't think a battle chariot. Think a wagon. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, you got to understand, eunuchs, if there really was one person that would be an unlikely, the furthest removed from a um, Torah-obeying Jew is a eunuch. A eunuch, he was from Africa, from probably from Nubia, today Sudan. Likely, he was dark-skinned. He was treasurer of Queen Candace, a position of importance. He was a God-fearer. He was a Gentile worshiper of the God of Israel. And eunuchs were the most ridiculed people in ancient societies. He would have been considered sexually deviant. Um, the first century Jewish historian Josephus writes this about eunuchs. Eunuchs were to be detested and conversation with them avoided since they were of a monstrous nature. Jewish writer Plato writes, they were worthless persons. They had been castrated either naturally or after their, as adults, but they, they, have, they were considered very, very weird. Second century writer in the Roman world says, such people ought to be excluded from temples and water bowls and all the places of public assembly. Um, they are hybrid, monstrous, anyway, alien to human nature. And even in Deuteronomy, in God's law, we read that the law of Moses explicitly excluded eunuchs from the assembly of the Lord. They could not be full proselytes. They, not be, they could not join Jewish community fully. So he had traveled for days by wagon, well over a thousand miles to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, most likely to be turned away because he was a eunuch. Though he served in the queen's court, and this would have been a considerable influence, place of influence, he was in every other way lacking dignity, not normal, not acceptable, inferior, socially, psychologically, and spiritually marginalized. Like, not, at, not only at the end of the world, living at the end of the world, but basically at the, the bottom of the dumpster of humanity. And the Spirit said to Philip, 
Go over and join this chariot. <laughs> the Spirit had to say that to Philip. Like, he didn't think that naturally. He probably would never have thought to go to a eunuch. But Philip ran to him when the Spirit told him and, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, <laughs> I love that question, do, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, and we read it earlier, but Isaiah 53 is an amazing picture of Jesus as suffering servant who, who dies not for his own sins, but for other people's sins, and in that way forgives them, restores them. Like sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And the eunuch said to Philip in verse 34, about whom I asked, I asked you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Is Isaiah speaking or is he speaking about someone else? And so Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he began with that scripture. He went on and he told him the good news about Jesus. No, this scripture is about Jesus. He's the saving king. And they were going along the road. They came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And one can imagine that when he asked Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? He might have feared hearing these words from Philip's mouth. Of course, you can't be baptized. You're a eunuch. Like, this is good cultural knowledge for you, but, but no. Only a simple confession of faith in Jesus was necessary. And God accepted even the Gentile eunuch into his new Messiah community. And verse 38 says, He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, we can't know exactly how far Philip would have gone in Isaiah, but I think it can be fair to think that they at least reached the amazing chapter 56, where the Word of God speaks directly to his personal human situation. Chapter 56 Verse 3 reads this. And so imagine Philip in the wagon reading this with the eunuch. This is what he read. This is God's word for him. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, oh, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way, and we're not surprised to read this, Rejoicing. Woohoo! This is amazing. The land of Ethiopia also had significance because it, it, in their, the Jewish people's minds, it was the end of the earth. You saw it previously on the map, but Psalm 68:31 had said, Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush, which is the ancient name for Ethiopia, shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. Prophecies had foretold this. That very baptism is an amazing testimony to the fact that King's mission to all people simply cannot be stopped. Not, nor Pharisees can shut our need for uh, 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 King Jesus. 
Even unbelieving disciples cannot stop the mission of King Jesus, nor a pandemic can stop the mission of King Jesus. Now, if you ask me, how exactly will God use this or will God further his mission to all the world through this time that we're living right now? I don't know. I have no clue. All I know is that you and me, we need to be attuned to the Spirit of God and ask him, Lord, where are you sending me? Where am I? Where do I need to follow you? Then ask questions to people. I love the story of two ladies in our church who had that vision of the kingdom of Jesus. And when they saw Julie in our worship service, instead of being irritated by her, they befriended her. They brought her to the restaurant for her birthday. And they, they got to know her, know her need. They invited her to, for detox. And finally, Julie came to faith in Jesus. And it was a glorious day when she was baptized with another lady who was a criminologist from that same detox center. And so we had a picture of the need of everyone. A crackhead and a criminologist all need King Jesus. And there's nothing get, that can stop Jesus from uh, reaching his mission. So I have just one question, last question for you. I, I won't have time for that last story um, but one last question for you, and it's a simple one. Who is King Jesus sending you to? Don't, don't think, I need to do all kinds of amazing things. Think Philip way. Who, who is in front of me? Who is King Jesus sending me to? How can I be interested in this person? Ask him, what are you reading? What are you thinking about? And just, Lord, how can I share the good news of Jesus to this person? So let's pray that God would do this with us in Qualicum Beach, Parksville area, even through these crazy times. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. We are so blessed to know that you are king. All authority in heaven and in earth, on earth belongs to you, Jesus. We can't wait to be with you physically. But in the meantime, we know that your mission is is for us to share the good news of Jesus to everyone. And I confess, I have a hard time doing that. I have a hard time believing that it's really good news again. My heart often grows cold. Thank you, Jesus, for renewing my heart. I need your spirit to do that. And please lead us. Help us think of people that we could just give a phone call to, a, a, write an email. But um, we want to see your mission continue. We want to join, want to be part of this. And so... Thank you for your word again. Thank you for being king. Amen.